This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. I'm not going to lie to you, at the time of recording at least, not much is happening on the Liverpool front as we end the first week of the international break. So for this show, I decided to do something a little different as I picked up the phone to Nathan Hemingham, who is the Sheffield United reporter for the Liverpool Echo's sister website, Yorkshire Live. We talk about how Ben Davis is getting on after he joined the Blades in the summer on loan from Liverpool and discuss what the defenders' plans are for the future and we also talk about Rian Brewster who made the permanent move from Anfield to Bramall Lane the summer before last but whose time at Sheffield United I think it's fair to say has not worked out yet but a lot of the podcast is about how the Blades who had some really good battles with Liverpool when they were in the Premier League are recovering and rebuilding after the loss of their beloved manager Chris Wilder and the relegation back to the Championship and that does include a good story about the time that Wilder and Klopp it sounds got a bit tipsy together on the champagne after one of those matches between the Reds and Sheffield United I hope you enjoy it and we'll be back on Monday with the Blood Red Podcast The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Hi Nathan, uh, nice to speak to you mate. Uh, Liverpool enjoyed really some really good games with Sheffield United, I think four over the course of the two seasons in the Premier League. Uh, but since the, the last time the two teams met, I think it was Bramall Lane back in, back in February, a lot's changed at the Blades, hasn't it? Yeah, it certainly has. There's uh, a new manager's come in and um, one of the club's greatest ever managers uh, in Chris Wilder has departed since then. Uh, so it has been a, a big change, uh, going through a bit of a, a transition period at the minute. You know, two years ago we had the highs of um, United giving all those top teams in the Premier League a real run for their money in that first season, and and but for COVID, uh, everybody in or the red half of Sheffield anyway are absolutely convinced that if COVID doesn't happen, Sheffield United qualify for Europe, um, and then since then. Really, really struggled uh, behind closed doors. They lost so much from from playing uh, playing in an empty stadium, and and they've gone from the highs of of that to going through a bit of a transition period now, where the new manager Ivanovic is in, and he's got to have to sort of look at the squad and and move a few on and, and bring a few in, and maybe maybe two or three windows before before we really get to see. Uh, what United are capable of under the new manager. I remember it's interesting you talking there before we go on to Jukanovic and, and touching back on Wilder. What you just you mentioned there about the, the the impact of not having crowds at Premier Lane because I know it affected every club up and down the country in all different divisions not having the supporters there. But I actually think like Sheffield United and Liverpool. They obviously had poor, very poor seasons compared to you know, you know it's all contacts. Liverpool still they're finishing the, the top four, but I think those two teams were probably two of the most impacted by it because the, the fans at Bramall Lane and at Anfield make such a big difference, don't they? Yeah, especially from United. So I think they work in a different way because at United, at Bramall Lane, so, you know, no disrespect, but I think everybody's aware of uh, the finances in football and where Sheffield United are, having spent six years in League One and then just two years in the Championship and here they were in the Premier League and... Uh, obviously, you, you can't just uh, go and start competing. So United did have a lot of players who were you know, still with them from the League One journey, and they were on momentum, they were on a roll. And when you've got 
30,000 at Bramwell Lane. It, it does help give you that extra 10% and help. Certainly everybody knows when Arsenal comes to Bramwell Lane on a Monday night, no one's backing an away win there. <laughs> uh, remember it, his, yeah. History shows United <laughs> have always been Arsenal at Bramwell Lane on a Monday night under the lights. Um, you know, history shows that the last two times because you take 10% off the opposition as well and, and those little fine margins were where United were able to compete. So you take them away and Sheffield United were playing against all these clubs who littered with world-class players with no crowd and it was almost like I won't say disrespectful like a training ground but it, there was no pressure on the opposition they, they you could see them sort of they, if they wanted to they could have gone up another gear it was just it, it just felt like you, you just weren't watching football and and United just lost everything that they had that made them so good that connection with the fan base the momentum um, the way that they were able to get on top of those fine margins. And the following year, when they were in, in a COVID environment, they lost a lot of games by one goal. And it was because the margins that they were on top of the previous season, it had been role reverse, where, you know, your teams, your Tottenham's, your Man U's, they were coming and they were, they were comfortably stroking the ball around because they just didn't have that edge on it. And then, you know, it was slightly different at Anfield. I don't think it necessarily... Uh, gave the Liverpool players anything extra because they're world-class players but it just as an opposition player and you walked out at Anfield and you saw that cop uh, and, and you know everything that, that Liverpool's home form shows you over the last few years you know it was a fortress it was a fortress and, um, and unfortunately when you have um, something like that that's so especially in your armoury and so strong and so key to to part of your attack, you take that away and you're going to suffer. And I and I think um, when you are a club like a Liverpool or a Sheffield United whose connection to their fan base is so special, when you kick towards the copper Anfield, you know what's going to happen. When you come to Bramall Lane on a Monday night under the lights, you know you're in for a game. You take those away from them and, and you, you suffer. And I certainly think... Sheffield, it did Sheffield United. I'm not saying they don't get relegated in the second season because, you know, reality was always going to catch up with Sheffield United. You know, two years previously were in League One and they'd been there for six years. So you just didn't have the infrastructure or the finances to just come in and start start turning that squad into a Premier League one. So it was always going to catch up with United in that second season. But I just don't think they were ever going to be a side that was 17 games without a win rock bottom. They weren't going to fall off a cliff. They were always going to struggle, and I and I want and, and I'm not saying they wouldn't have survived because I think they still would have caught caught. They still would have gone down the second season, but not in the manner that they went down. They they would not have fallen off a cliff if um, if things hadn't changed. Uh, but it just absolutely knocked the stuffing out of them. And, and once they started that season with four or five games without a win, and there was no one there to lift them, they just they they got in that cycle and got in that rut, and it killed them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's well said on what you said about Bramall Lane and Anfield there because I, I, as a football fan, I did find it a, a real shame because you you could tell the, the difference it had made to the team and, and to Chris Wilder, who you, you spoke about earlier. And like Chris Wilder, I think he's he's from around these parts or his family's particularly around these parts. I know he had a few in uh, run-ins with Jurgen Klopp over the couple of seasons, but I'll tell you what, he always spoke glowingly of Liverpool. I know uh, at the Echo we have press conference videos and things like that and they, they were always very well received because he, he spoke passionately about Liverpool and he, he must have been a tough figure 
to replace. I know you're kind of itching now. You say it's a bit of a transition, trying to rebuild in the championship, but must have cast a long shadow, Chris Wilder, given, given what he did for the club. Yeah, and Liverpool are going to probably find this as well when it comes to the point where when Jürgen steps down or calls it a day or, or whatever happens when he's no longer there because you're replacing one of the greatest and it's a real hard act to follow and it's really difficult and it's just and it's not easy i know board and owners get a lot of criticism for for the decisions they make but on some occasions you know it's just impossible and they've done the right thing with Ikanovic because they had to go with a big big character a big big figure because he had such huge shoes to fill but unfortunately with that is he plays such a different way that you've got to evolve this squad now and move away and 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 bring it on to your Kanovic's. But but the, the thing with Chris is, you know, he's in my lifetime, he's he's up there as one of the greatest managers of all time. Um not just for what he did, but how he transformed the football club. He grabbed he was a as a manager who grabbed hold of the football club and you know it was going backwards. It was eleventh in League One when he when he arrived and it was not stopping there. It was going to continue to go backwards and backwards and God knows where it'd have ended up if it weren't for Chris coming in. And he came in and he managed it with his head as well as his heart. He grabbed hold of the football club and he dragged it. He dragged it single-handedly to the foot to the to the top flight and gave the fans a journey that, um, let's be honest, I don't, I can't, I can see, I can see managers coming in and obviously every man, every football club will have promotion and relegation again. But the manner of 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 how he and and how quickly he dragged it and how he repaired a lot of damage off the pitch and the connection. I can't see another manager doing that, uh, certainly for a long, long time. Um, and it's just so difficult to replace a manager when you've you've had someone of that size. And that's, I think, obviously Liverpool's going to find that because I know they'll be in a bit of a better position because they will be able to attract elite managers. But that doesn't give you any guarantee. You know, Jürgen's special. You can see the connection with the fans. He is somebody that, uh, you know, really, really does, uh, you know, lead his football club from the front um, and interestingly, Chris, Chris did tell a really good story about Jurgen. They do get on really well, despite the public <laughs> a few barbs where the built up, and it built up out of nothing. You know, it it, it built up out of nothing. It was, uh, you know, it, it really did get uh, get a little bit too much attention for what it was worth. But Chris did once tell a story how the, the game where you know, the first time United played Liverpool. Um, when they were first in the Premier League, I think when when Alden scored, when Henderson slips it through, uh, it was a great game that, and I think that had, that had a draw on that, and uh, it was a a really good day for Sheffield United because they really really gave Liverpool went wrong to Liverpool. so didn't they? Yeah, but for that mistake, uh, I think United get something from that game. But Chris, obviously, um, when when Jurgen arrived, uh, he had got a bottle of champagne in his office, and he invited Jürgen into his office to present him this bottle of champagne as a mark of respect to say, you know, uh, you're a top manager, welcome to Bramall Lane, here is a bottle of champagne, uh, you know, welcome welcome to Sheffield United. Won't touch it, won't come into his office, won't speak to him, won't have nothing to do with it. But after the game, after the game, straight into his office and Chris came staggering into the press conference uh, and literally fell onto his seat and apologised because he'd been having a he'd having a few shirts with Jurgen, <laughs> and it was basically Jurgen saying, you know, look, uh, I'm here, I'm here to win, I'm here to, I've got a job to do, I'm not doing none of this now, 
but as soon as that full time whistle went, they had a great they had a great uh, time in his office, uh, and, and got a, it was really funny. Uh, Chris apologising to the media before his press conference. Uh, so yeah, uh, they, this image that they had last year about the substitutions and all that, you know, it was blown out because Chris always spoke about Jurgen as an elite manager uh, and nothing but respect for and what fans and, and everybody don't see behind the headlines is those moments where they do go into each other's office after the game and speak so uh, you know speak so well um, so yeah so Jürgen and, and Chris got on really well and I think they're very similar in the way that they uh, you know they, they they manage their football clubs um, and the connection that they had and the passion that they manage with um, very very similar in that respect The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo New manager now, Jukanovic, with some new players. You said he's trying to change the personnel. And one of the signings uh, in the summer was from Liverpool, Ben Davis. Uh, how have yeah. you been getting on? Yeah, very much needed. Uh, United have needed a left centre back now for over 12 months. Uh, ironically, another Liverpool team, Jack O'Connell. Yes, uh, yeah. out injured. Isn't he? Was, yeah, he, 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 he got done with a trading ground uh, knee injury. Uh, just the day, uh, the week leading up to the restart of a project restart back in June, and um, he uh, had a clash of knees with Dean Henderson trying to clear a ball off the line in training, and uh, he tried to come back, couldn't do it. Went in under the knife in the summer, and he's just not come back. Uh, he's had a second up. He's just proving, and he was arguably United's best player. He was one of the overlapping centre halves, and. Uh, United just completely, this was a tactic that had taken them from champions of League One all the way up to ninth in the Premier League, this overlapping centre-half, and he was so crucial to that. And, and they just can't, they, they just couldn't cope without him. And Ben was a player that they tried for last summer, couldn't afford, tried for uh, again in January, but the, the decision was made for no signings um, because of United's position in the table at that time. So they've been tracking Ben for a long, long time and uh, we're delighted to get him and he settled in really, really well. Looks really cultured on the ball, looks really comfortable, which is good because you kind of rolls it out from the keeper. He likes to draw the press on, uh, which, as you can imagine, uh, goes to <laughs> 30,000 fans at Bramall Lane when they've got uh, the playing it out from the keeper. It's not what they've seen before. Uh, there's a few heart in mouths moments, but that's what he's doing. He's rolling it out from the keeper, he's trying to draw everybody on. and Having Ben in there, who is so comfortable at receiving the ball, both from the pressure and, and bringing it out and striding into midfield with it, is good. Um, he struggled a little bit for fitness to start with. Uh, he's They've had to manage him after each game because, um, and I think he's come off last 10 minutes in a couple of games and, and been rested in others because he'd gone from not playing for the best part of six months. Mm-hmm. So he'd gone from playing every week to and then training a little bit to training a lot and not playing and now he's gone back to playing every week and training so he was really really fit in terms of training and and that and and that sort of sharpness but he wasn't match fit so they've had to manage him through and i think we're just approaching the period now where he's he's starting to uh you know look look more and more match sharp and match fitness and he has made a a big difference to that defense it's a very vulnerable defense at the minute uh it's still I think there's only three teams that's conceded more than United. So, you know, like I said, we're in a bit of a transition period at Bramall Lane where the manager's trying to get his 
way across. They're trying to play a different way uh, with players who have been shaped around the previous system that's so unique in world football. No one else plays with overlapping centre arms. No. So, uh, you know, there's this transition period, and some games they've looked absolutely frightening. You know, they they put six past Peterborough and they could have had ten. Uh, but then there's been other games where they've looked so vulnerable defensively uh, that you can tell that it's a bit of a transition period. But Ben certainly helped with his experience at Championship level and his ability on the ball to come in and and sit alongside John Egan in a back four. I know it's a loan deal. Uh, I know how much you kind of at Charlie rates him. Is is it? Do you think it's something Sheffield United would like to do permanently come the end of yeah, the season? I, I can't. I, I can imagine if that deal's on at the end of the season. I don't know uh, where Liverpool are at. Uh, I spoke to Ben last week, and he said he still wants to. He, he, he needs, just needs first and foremost. He's not thinking about anything major. He's just uh, focusing on this season. It's about playing again playing to the best of his ability and trying to get back to the player he was at Preston when obviously Liverpool came in for him. And then in the summer, he wants to go back to Liverpool and try and see if the doors open because, you know, you don't know what happens. Anything can happen. You know, what happens if there's injuries again? What happens if, you know, anything can happen? So he wants to go back to Liverpool and and see if we could have a good pre-season at Liverpool and see uh, see what where the land lies and see what the crack is, see if we can try and impress the manager. Uh, and then he'll take it from there. But if if there's an option on there and there's a deal on there, uh, it all depends on United's circumstances as well, of course. Uh, are they a Premier League team? Are they a Championship team? Are they, you know, they've only signed loans this, this season. Are they signing loans next season? Are they signing permanent? So obviously... Like anything, there's so many permutations for for something in 12 months' time. But if it's if it's a deal that's on and Liverpool are happy to let him to let him leave on a permanent, I'm sure, providing he impresses and becomes the player that everybody who have tracked him for the last 12 months have been convinced he is, then I'm sure Sheffield United will want to have a look at that. Just one final question before I let you go, mate. Uh, Sheffield United, of course, did permanent transfer business with Liverpool the summer, the summer before last uh, when they signed Ryan Brewster. From the outside, it doesn't look like the move has gone well. What's your assessment of of, of his time at Bramall Lane so far this season a little, a little bit? Yeah, it's obviously been a struggle for Ryan. So Ryan, Ryan was one of them where if he'd have come in the previous season, he'd have, he'd have done well because he was that, that previous season, the players were just so... So confident, you know, there were players, nutmegging players and all kinds of things the previous season. The confidence in the team was just, uh, you know, we uh, still clips going around on social media now of Man United players and all kinds of this falling over when United players have done five turns and all this sort of stuff. They were just a completely different team to the one that fell off a cliff the following season. And he's come into that. Um, and... United scored 17 goals last season. They just didn't create. They just didn't create at all. There was a real creativity problem. And because of the money that they'd spent on Rian, it was almost as if Rian was here to solve the goal-scoring issue. But, he, but the issue was creativity, you know. Um, the previous season, the leading goal-scorer got six. And I think last season, the leading goal-scorer got seven in the Premier League. So, you know, the real problem. And he came in at just at a time where which is a really difficult time for a striker. You had to really make your own chances. And obviously he was very young and inexperienced and not played at that level. But he was signed for a reason because Chris was signing players 
very much with a yo-yo in mind of mm-hmm. understanding finances, understanding where United were at, expecting United to probably get relegated and realising that the best way to do it is probably a Burnley or somewhere like that and do a bit of a yo-yo. So he was signing players who were who had excelled at championship level so that if they stepped up bonus, if they didn't, then they go again and they've got a really, really good team to go straight back up. And Rian, he scored 11 in 22 at Swansea, so he was signed for that reason, 21-year-old, 20-year-old, a big future ahead of an England uh, World Cup golden boot. Um, So he was signed for that reason, for the future, to to help get United back up if they went down. But unfortunately, because of the price tag to Sheffield United, Although it's not a lot of money in football, to Sheffield United fans, it is a lot of money. Yeah. So they instantly thought he's the answer, and he wasn't the answer. He was just one of six strikers that was part of a striker group that were there for you know the collective. But unfortunately, there was so much pressure on him, and every time he played, he had to score. He had to justify this and justify that, and it was a bit harsh. But this year, we've all been looking forward to seeing him at Championship level because of because of what happened at Swansea, and it's just unfortunate for him that a manager's come in that's playing one up front so um, obviously if Chris was still manager he'd have played him and I think Colin McBurney two players who played for Swansea and both only scored 24 the season they signed in for Swansea so uh, I think that would have been a strike force under Chris and he would have played Brewster alongside Ollie and um, I think you know we'd be seeing a different Rian now he'd have scored goals and he'd be up and running and, uh, and it'd be a different story but unfortunately for Rian there's a new manager that's come in and he's, he's tried three or four different formations in the first few games, not being happy. Settled on one now, which is 4-2-3-1. Obviously, there's only one room. There's only room for one striker. Billy Sharp scored. Uh, Billy Sharp got three assists on the first game that he played that lone striker, and then he scored two the following week. So he's kept that shirt. <laughs> and you've got even you've even got like Ollie McBurney just they're all on the bench because. You know they've settled on this formation and, and they won they won four games in five out of it three games in four something like that and uh, so Rian's another victim of circumstance where he just he just can't get in um, so Slab thinks that there's uh, enough attributes in him to convert him into one of those wider roles in oh, the right. three behind the striker in like a more of a a, a wide forward role. Uh, to be fair to Rian, he's working really, really hard and he's really, really given it a go. He's not looked quite comfortable, but you've got to bear in mind he's a 21-year-old who's still learning to be a striker and you know he's he's now learning a different role. So, uh, to be fair to Rian, he's working incredibly hard. He's not downing tools. He's not sulking. He's showing a great maturity. He understands that it's not happening for him and he understands the way the way to get forward to that. I spoke to him a couple of weeks back after he just scored for England and he just scored for United his first goal in yeah. the League Cup. And, you know, he was really, really hopeful that, you know, he, he could kick on from there. And um, it's, it's really, really, I, I think, I think people will be surprised at how hard he's working and how mature he is in understanding the situation that it's, He's 21, he's got to learn the game, it's not happening for him, so he's got to keep working hard and he's got to keep trying, he's got to keep listening. And um, you speak to anybody, any other players there, and they tell you that this is a guy that, in training, he just can't stop scoring, fantastic ability, um, fantastic striker, um, goals are plenty, 
Uh, it's just not happening for him on the pitch for a number of reasons, not just a case of him not being good enough and all, what, what's this transfer all about. You know, got to understand the situations that he's been chucked into, being chucked into a side that completely fell off a cliff and was arguably one of United's worst ever seasons in their club's history at Premier League level. Uh, and now he's playing in a system with one striker up front and they've got six strikers. So, you know, he's... He's in and out of the team and he's in left wing, he's on right wing, he's playing in a two sometimes he's, and he's back on the bench and then he's getting 20 minutes and then he's getting a start in a two and then he's back on the bench and he's going out wide left for 20 minutes. You know, it's real difficult for him. But every time he plays, he works his socks off and he gives it a real go. Uh, and he's just, I think he's just a player that is needs a break, needs a couple of goals, needs a couple of games on the bounce. He needs something to go in off his backside in the last minute. And and then I think we see a different player, the player that England see, the player that Liverpool saw in their academy, the player that every coach that's ever seen him have said, the, the player that every player that's ever trained with him has said, uh, you'll see that if he gets his break and he gets his time in the team. But he's got to earn it. He's got to earn his place. Slav's not messing about. Um, he's here to you know, win football matches. He's found the formation that's working. So he's sticking to it. And unfortunately for Rian, that means he's got to bide his time and he's got to take his chance and he's got to keep working. So um, the fans on, um, I haven't given up on him, not by a long shot. They know there's a player in there and they're desperate for him to come out and they're desperate to see it. Uh, but from Rian's point of view, it's just been it's just been a real difficult last 18, 20 months to be a Sheffield United player. Uh, it's been difficult for everybody. Uh, and... From Rian's point of view, he's just got to keep at it. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.